God is in our hearts, and he's also in the grass. Pantheism? Nah. You're listening to Return to Gilead, a fan podcast for Down Gilead Lane. By two new but not pantheistic fans of the show. I'm Michael LaFaver. I'm Ryan Matlock. And you're listening to part one of our season three finale review of Down Gilead Lane, episode 39 on our return to Gilead. Hey, this episode was directed by Steve O'Dell. This first episode, actually. Hi, Steve. Yeah. Really? Yeah, the three episodes that we're talking about today are 39, 3-10, Cosmic Confusion by Leah Gardner, 40, 3-11, A Story to Tell by Leah Gardner. Oh, also, I think it's Leah Gardner, not Leah Gardner, by the way. I think I've been saying it wrong the whole time. Whenever I imagined her name, I always imagined it much more flowery before, <laughs> but now I can't. Maybe she'll come on here and correct us on how we've been mis- mispronouncing her name. Send in a voice message. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the third episode is episode 41, 3-12, A Case Against Grace by Beth Culp. I'll go ahead okay. and read the summaries for each of these just to get them out of the way. You're cool with that. I am. Here's a summary for Cosmic Confusion. After visiting the planetarium with their brother and an exchange student staying with their family, Maya starts wondering whether the Bible's account of creation is actually true. The summary for A Story to Tell is, Grace shares some of her testimony with the kids at her new Bible study, encouraging them to do the same. Michael feels his testimony isn't exciting enough, while Tom Richter becomes concerned about Maya spending time with Grace. And then the summary for episode three, Tom and Monica Richter attempt to take drastic measures to keep Maya from seeing Grace Andrews. Meanwhile, the Morrison kids swap rooms when Michael and Justin bicker about having to be roommates. So this is quite an interesting finale because it doesn't involve the kids trying to investigate any of Grace's past. Or maybe, maybe this is similar to the season one finale because that saw the parents finding more about the backstory. The second involved the kids trying to put the pieces together. The third involves the parents confronting Tom or Tom or John confronting Tom about the backstory. And then we'll see what the what season four involves. But as far as a finale goes, I think I liked this one better than I did the season two finale. I agree, especially with the conversation that Tom and John have. That's one of the most iconic scenes in my mind. Yes. Yes. It's so memorable. I remember Tom Richter saying, we're a family, and just the emotion in his voice as he says that. It's something that stuck with me. Like uh, The first time I listened to the series, I remembered it, and then the second time through, I was waiting for it because it was that memorable. Exactly. Yeah, I think that might be... I keep saying this, but there's so many really, really well-acted scenes. That might be one of the best because John and Mary, Roger Mueller, Jill Schellerberger Mueller... They're two of the best actors, and I think Rodney Tesla just cemented himself as one of the uh, the third best actor in Down the Lane, possibly. <laughs> Next to Nathan Heckman. Nathan is awesome. But how about we save that scene until the very end, because that's in the third episode, and the clip of, of the day is from that scene. So if we save it till the end, we can get it in the third part. But Makes sense. I think let's start off. Usually the way these finales go, just a heads up, Hannah Matlock won't be joining us for the third part of this finale she's kind of sick she do, do you can we explain why ryan or would that be embarrassing kombucha yeah she drank too much kombucha and she choked on it the under a couple nights ago although that's completely unrelated it just <laughs> ryan said it was ginger ale and that concerned me but it wasn't so we're fine no, it wasn't but it's still I, I thought it was ginger ale for a second there we go guys don't drink kombucha bad for you anyway the <laughs> no no it's really good and that's why she <laughs> feels bad <laughs> 
No, but she she's okay. But Detox City. Mm, why don't we start off with general thoughts on these episodes, then move into some criticisms that I think I have of some of these episodes. I don't know if you have the same one. Interesting. But then I moving, look forward to hearing what they are. Yeah, and then moving into overall overall thoughts on the <laughs> there, there's some more was Grace Wright stuff in here that we've got to cover, and I'm I'm ready to cover it at the end, but. We will get there eventually if you're okay with that. Sounds good. <laughs> well, I wrote down a note on the lawyer, and my note that I wrote down, and I'll just read it real real quick right here. What I wrote was, can the Richters not afford a better lawyer? <laughs> I don't know. I think they just went with whoever they could. Then they realized, I guess so. they realized he wasn't great. And also, there's just not a great case against Grace. No. The only case is that She's telling them stuff about Christianity, which are good morals in the first place. Maya hasn't exhibited... The, the, the thing about Mr. Darty is that he's asking leading questions, but Maya is his witness. One, you're not allowed to ask leading questions of your own witness in court. And, and two, it's not a good idea because it doesn't present the best case for yourself. Because if you're building your own case and you're not letting your witness answer your questions, which three actually let her talk come on it it's not gonna hold up really well at all in court because there is no evidence there's just what the the attorney is saying there is or like what the right what the lawyer is saying there is so and no judge worth their salt is going to look at this and be like oh yeah nothing nothing strange here right right so my thing is when when tom says at the end of the episode that darty character didn't seem too reliable like you think <laughs> I don't think the Richters, <laughs> the Richters are very bright when it comes to legal matters, considering that, like, no spoilers here, but they are used to pushing their way through things without needing the law, right? Yes. Yeah. So as far as that goes, yes. I, I thought that, again, with Randy Heckman's executive producership and with his, I'm guessing, his advisory on that scene, <laughs> it's great. I, I really like that. Any other thoughts in these, uh, the, the sort of overview of these three episodes? Like, a lot of the thoughts that I have on the episodes are, are kind of specific to the episodes or to specific moments. I think as an overarching thought, I, I enjoyed the episodes. They were interesting. And I think, like, as far as finales go, this one I really like because uh, unlike with the season two finale where I had some arguments against it, like uh, sort of the the final thesis of the episodes or that it seemed like the episodes were communicating. I didn't disagree very viscerally or really at all with most of the episodes here. Um, there are some things where I was kind of like, Oh, that's, that's an okay lesson or, Oh, that's an even better lesson. Um, but overall I pretty much, I just kind of enjoyed the episodes kind of, they kind of were laid back. They weren't like mind blowing except for like the scene with John and Tom. I think that was mind blowing, mind blowing. Yeah. But <laughs> beyond that, it was just kind of, you know, normal Gilead, mm -hmm. even in the last episode, which is like the finale, the Morrison children are just kind of hanging out, doing their own thing, learning a, a typical daily lesson that has nothing to do with the finale events, you know. Yeah, I so I I didn't ha I didn't like that very much. I kind of had a problem with the the final episodes Morrison plot. Do you want to talk about that here? Uh, we could. Yeah. What do you want to talk about? What you, What were your thoughts? So for one thing, what did it have to do with? Was it contentedness or jealousy? It was jealousy. That's a good question. That was it, right? That that's because when John and Mary are on their walk, and one we we never really see John and Mary walking or talking by themselves on the show except a couple times like in the in season 12 I think so 
seeing it here was really great. But they say, oh, it's probably just jealousy. You think that's what's going on with Maya? And then kind of springboarding that into the whole thing with Tom. It, it doesn't feel great that the scenario is kind of, it seems kind of shoehorned in, which is weird to say from Beth Culp's writing, but also there's there's just something weird about the whole situation. Like, didn't you think that it was kind of strange that Brooke and Haley didn't have any say in whether Michael and Justin could switch rooms? Maybe a little, but I think that the reason that it was done such is because Brooke and Haley were like, oh, why can't you guys just get along? And the response was like, okay, well, if you guys, if you guys think it's so easy, how about you try their shoes? Hmm. Okay. Maybe I wasn't seeing it that way. I thought that it was Brooke and Haley complaining the whole time. Not even, yeah, this will be fine. There wasn't that, like with Michael and Justin, they're like, oh, it'll be great to switch rooms. But we don't get that same thing from Brooke and Haley. It seems like a better setup to the episode would be everybody's discontent with the current situation. And then... When they switch, at first they're like, oh, this will work, this will be great, and then later on they get frustrated with it and then want to go back. Sure. That seems like proper story structure to me, and it just seems like Brooke and Haley are being sidelined the whole time. Like, I didn't really pick up on they were saying, oh, you you two just get along, it'll be, it'll make it easier. I thought they're just pointing out Maybe I should check that on the episode, because I thought there was, like, some line somewhere where Brooke or Haley or both of them implied that they thought it would it should be easier for the boys to get along. Yeah, just because right? it's easier. I'm not I'm not sure that she was implying if we were in the same room together we also wouldn't get along. I think it was more there's an expectation in this house that you should get along even if you're rooming together. Haley does have the line about boys don't need much space and stuff. They can run around outside if they need to. They like treats and Michael says we're not we're not pets, Haley. So like that might be indicative of what you're talking about. Right, right. Like, it felt like the girls were kind of judging the boys, saying, like, they should have this figured out by now. And it's like, if you're going to say something like that, then put your money where your mouth is and prove that you are capable of that. Or don't expect someone else to be held up to a standard you can't even live up to. Okay, I guess that I guess that makes sense. But also, Justin and Michael were kind of being kind of mean toward each other in that scene in a way that they weren't through the rest of the episode. So it, it seems like it it was reasonable for them to say, you guys are bickering and you should stop that, regardless of whether you're in the same room or not, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, it seems to me like they're they're arguing about being in the same room. Brooke and Haley are saying, you two should stop bickering. And then John and Mary go, hey, well, why don't we all switch rooms? And then the boys go, yeah, that's fine. And then at the end of the episode, they're not discontent about having two separate rooms. They're fine with it because they have the door in between their room that they can slide open, which will actually become a plot point in uh, the, the final episode of season four. Just I'll look ahead to that. But Ooh. anyway, in this one, it just seemed weird that the boys were fi- seemed fine the whole episode and then Brooke and Haley didn't seem fine. I didn't see enough of a contrast there, but maybe that's just me. Yeah, and I think part of it is that the situation between them all isn't really resolved it doesn't get to a point where it's like okay let's all meet in the family room and talk about what we've learned today right um it's just to my because, oh by the way we're gonna switch our rooms back yeah it's like a b plot and mm-hmm. so in the end the maya storyline is more important one reason i think i do appreciate that this is in the story like even if it's a b plot and it's kind of not really resolved on the morrison side of things i think it ties in to the stuff that's going on with the Richters as well, 
because I was asking Hannah this and I was trying to think it through and figure it out myself. Like, what is the lesson in this episode? And Hannah even uh, said something like, I don't know if this episode has a lesson. Like, this one sort of seems like it's a finale without a lesson. But I think the lesson is a combination between contentedness and jealousy, but also how you resolve that sort of situation. So oftentimes I think that people seek something that they don't have and that and they're jealous about that and they seek to resolve that not necessarily by taking something that they want but by doing something that they hope will lead towards achieving what they want um so it's not like i'm jealous so i'm going to steal this thing it's i'm jealous so i'm going to take x toxic action to make sure that that ends up in my hands Mm -hmm. the examples in this episode of that happening in the a and b plots is mike and justin are thinking well life would just be so much simpler if we had separate rooms and they have this action that gets taken to achieve that and that is to swap rooms but they realize that they lose what they some of the stuff that they already had as a result Mm -hmm. and that the community, the fellowship that they had with each other is going to be lost and it's going to be difficult to regain that, kind of janky to regain that in the (laughs) new situation. And then on the A-plot with the Richters, they are clearly concerned that Grace is going to, in some way, discuss things with their kids that is going to return badly on them. And so they say, okay, we're going to, We're going to step in and we're going to try to stop Grace from talking to our children and anyone else's children because that's the solution. Because they're jealous of both the connection that Grace has with their kids and they're also fearful of what that could lead to so far as losing further connection with their kids. Mm -hmm. And so the steps that they take, they take like two or three steps. One is to start hanging out with their kids more sort of intentionally like with dinners and stuff. Not a bad idea. Yeah, not a bad idea. Uh, that's 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 actually good. Good good on you. Good choice. Just stop stop there, and you'll be fine. <laughs> but then they also like try to hire a lawyer to take legal action against Grace, and they try to smear Grace's reputation in front of the town and in front of their church and such. Again, there's that jealousy combined with an action that's taken to try to counteract the results that they don't want. Again, this is a situation where they're actually losing more than they're gaining because their, their their relationship with Maya is not going to be benefited by them suing Grace. The conversation with John and Tom in the end, John kind of alludes to this like, hey, you want your daughter back. I get that. And you need to drop this because that's not this, yeah. this is not the way. Yeah. And then Tom says, don't go there. And John says, I have to go there. Going through with this will only put a bigger wedge between you and Maya. Right. So overall, it's a very nuanced lesson. But I think if there was a thesis for the lesson of this episode, it is when you are jealous or seeking to gain something that you want and you try to take action to get it, that is either just a bad idea or like sort of openly sinful or a result of your jealousy, not just a result of thinking it through and trying to obtain something legally or properly, you're going to have repercussions that end up making things worse. But also I think like 
from a general thing that you could gain from this episode or glean from it is that if you're making your decisions and consulting God, you're likely to get what you want out of something more than if you try to take toxic action against it. And we see that with the third thing, which is how Maya responds to all of this. When Maya doesn't get what she wants and she's like being forbidden from going and seeing Grace and she's only with her family and she asks, hey, can I see Grace or something like that? And they're like, no, that's not going to happen. Or was it Grace or going over to the Morrisons or it something was, like that? It was going that. over to Grace. And, and my quick question right. about that is that seems like I kind of know why that's there. But it just seems really clunky because it seems one, a little clunky, yeah. Well, because one, they just had this whole thing about we're taking you away from coloring community and you're not seeing Grace anymore. I'm gonna make sure the whole town doesn't trust Grace, and all of this for her. Then for her to say, "Hey, can I see Grace?" It was that was kind of obvious, <laughs> even though she says it respectfully. Maybe. But then, then after that, they spend a whole long time talking about it. Oh wow! So you're not gonna go pout about it? Nope. That seemed a little unnatural in the writing there yeah, i don't know it feels semi unnatural like it definitely feels unnatural to how like my family would speak but <laughs> for the richters i don't know maybe it feels like it works a little bit because first off let's start let's focus on tiffany she's always saying things like that yeah I, suppo- yeah I suppose you're going to act all high and mighty i suppose you think that you're better than me that sort of thing yeah and i think possibly the mom is feeding off of that because she's expecting it and up until this point, that is how Maya would have reacted. Because earlier in this season, I think, like early in the season, she's struggling with, I still get mad at Tiffany sort of stuff, right? Yeah, and here she's not, which is great. Here she's not. Yeah. So that's why the mom is like, I suppose you're going to pout, because that's what she would have done. From and Tiffany. Also okay, the, yeah. Also, she's used, like, she's under a lot of pressure because she's trying to sue somebody and she's fearful that she's going to lose control if she doesn't handle the situation appropriately. Yes. And so it makes sense that she would be snippy and argumentative and expecting the worst from her daughter, especially when she probably would have gotten the worst from her daughter like 12 episodes ago. But at this point, Maya has chosen to react in a way that, uh, due to things that have happened in the past two episodes, she has a different outlook on how to treat her family And she's just happy to try that as best as she can. And so the contrast between Maya and her family, her family wants something and they're going to do whatever it takes to get it. Maya wants something, but she won't allow the desire to want a thing to counteract her knowledge of what she should do. And so she does what she should do, what she ought to do regardless of whether it impedes her or like regardless of whether she feels like doing something else that might in her mind get what she wants right so she's the contrast to say michael and justin who are in a a much softer example getting what they want from their father and tom and monica who are going to great lengths to see that what they want is accomplished yes it's actually like when I was listening to these episodes, I was kind of mad about them, but I was trying, I had to ask myself the question, like, what is the episode trying to tell me? What are the, what is the lesson here? Because I know it's Beth Culp. She's worked <laughs> she's something great. in here. She's, she's great. She knows what she's doing. So what is the message here? And this is sort of the conclusion I've come to. And like, I agree that it's a little bit, it's a, well, it's a lot of bit more nuanced and possibly a little clunkier than usual, but 
I think that's because it's a more nuanced thing and it's difficult to talk about because it's an idea that doesn't have a lot of specific verses. You have several verses you could pull from that talk about different minutiae parts of the broad concept being displayed here. But the episode's already 27 minutes long as it is because you had to fit all this climax into it. Yeah. Yeah. So that that makes sense. I think you've convinced me on that scene at least uh, as far as it might be a little bit. It might seem a little bit clunky, but the lesson is more nuanced. Now that you brought that out and brought out Maya's character development, I can I can kind of see where that was coming from. Thanks. I think I'm, I think I'm a bit more positive on that. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Can we put a pin in our discussion on this topic and go back and listen to the first clip of the day real quick? Ooh, first clip of the day, of course. Great. So when you say Jesus is in your heart... I have a bond with him. My father taught me about Jesus and how he died on the cross for me. When my father was a child, being a Christian was not allowed. At least, not like it is today. But he knew it was the only way and made sure to teach my family and me about it. That's awesome that your dad risked that for you. I think so too. A lot of people doubted God and turned away from the faith when it got too hard. But my father wouldn't give up. I guess we have it pretty easy over here. But now Russia, it's more open. There are many more churches. I forget sometimes that God works in every country. I mean, (laughs) I know there's not just Christians in America, but... (sighs) Yeah, Russia is a long way away. I understand. Here are your waters, ladies. Oh, thank you. So, what did I miss? Lana was just setting us straight on a few things. So sorry for changing courses so quickly, but I wanted to get this clip and the discussion on it into the first part. And then we can jump back to the other spot real quick. But yeah, just for a little bit of context, Lana is an exchange student from Russia who's staying with the Richters, even though her accent sounds more Hispanic than it does Russian. I don't know if you picked up on that at all. You know, I am terrible with accents <laughs> and I felt like something was a little strange. It's a soft Russian accent. I think it's easy to think of Russian accents and it's always very thick. I am Mother Russia sort of thing. And it's always very deep guttural. What do you mean you won't let me pick your pocket? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Sorry. (laughs) Yes. But I feel like this, uh, the Russian kind of soft spoken Russian voice has a lot of similarities or it's, it's easy to kind of sound and make it seem like it's a Hispanic accent. But Mm -hmm. I I definitely heard the Russian in this one. But anyway, you want to go ahead and bring out the point that you were going to bring out from this clip? Sure. Sure. So this, my point on this clip I'm actually going to have to back up a little bit. I'm curious, what did you think? Well, that is where we are going to have to cut off part one of our review. Oh, of that the was the middle of my conversation. I, I'm sorry. We just kind of had to cut it off there. It was already r- running long, and I, I didn't want it to go for that much longer. We got through the clip. We got through that context. So I don't have any idea how long these individual parts are going to be, but uh, maybe you're getting extended episodes. Maybe that's fun. Um, Ryan, how about we just... Make this quick. Is there a single link where we can go to to view all the information about Return to Gilead? It's called anchor.fm slash return to Gilead. Yep, you can go there. And actually, something that I added uh, a little bit before this recording, it'll have been up there for a while since the release, but you can send us email messages now. So I have a form up there (gasps) if you want to fill out, put put in your your name, email, and just a message. It it was just something really quick. So if for, for whatever reason you haven't left a message yet or any feedback because you just haven't been able to join the Facebook group or leave a voice message, go ahead and write something up. I'd be glad to hear from you. Yeah, we'd even just be interested to hear what you thought of this finale. Yeah, yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. We can get your feedback in the next episode, hopefully. 
But in the meantime, we will be back next time with part two of this finale review. So until then, I'm Michael. I'm Ryan. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll see you next time as we once again return to Gilead. By two new but pantheistic fans of the show, I'm Michael the Favor. Oh my! Wait, 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 wait. No. <laughs> <laughs>